Hello and welcome to the next episode of Bonzo Stuff Podcast. It's me, Scott Martin, again from Bonzo Matsu, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, it's the start of March 2020. We've just ticked over into the autumn season and looking outside, there's rain been coming down for a couple of days. Temperatures have drastically dropped. Everything's very lush, very green. The initial burst of growth that happens generally around the, the start of autumn has happened. You know, the deciduous have pushed out a few a few new leaves. Nothing like the spring new growth that comes, which is which is rampant and and continual. The uh, the autumn one seems to be well, it is definitely just a few a few pairs of leaves or a small small burst of growth, and then it seems to stop as the tree starts preparing for the winter dormancy that's coming up. The leaf colour has started to change definitely on a few of the deciduous, some not so quickly, but others others it definitely has. So it gives us a, a pleasant reminder that we're uh, we're getting into a quite a busy time of year coming up with, with autumn pruning, especially feeding and stuff like that as well. And then uh, for those of us with, with pines, uh, the winter, late autumn, early winter season is, uh, is go time for, for pines. So all that work we've done with decandling and, and making them pretty and putting them in nice sun and now they're starting to look pretty shaggy. There's lots of new growth on there. It's pretty rampant. The buds have, have extended. Needles are starting to push out now. There's nice vibrant coloured growth on there but we need to, uh, need to in the next couple of months start getting in there and, and sorting that out and putting them back into, into shape. But anyway, for now, uh, I just want to go through what we're what the what the plan is for the for the podcast for you guys. So first up, I want to talk um, initially about uh, pad profiling and how I how I approach the pruning of an individual pad. It's easy to get um, to get lost when you're looking at a tree, knowing where to start and where to finish. But if you if you break it down to a to a smaller, more manageable level, and we we could talk about an individual pad and how I approach the pruning of that pad, then you just multiply that same thing over and over and over. So we're going to go through pad profiling today. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is um, is pruning when I'm going through and on any any tree. You know, and there might be a, a cluster of growth. It's a really common thing that I get uh, I hear all the time where people say, well, "Where do I start? Like, how do you know which one?" to keep how do you know what's the best it's so i want to go through what my process is which is the process of elimination we start with uh, with removing the most wrong and then we work our way through till we end up with what's the best of the bunch that were there in the first place so we'll talk about that uh, i want to talk about um also what's happening um, what my plans are for my garden and my trees over the next next sort of month to give you guys something to to focus on as well, and and hopefully you know a little bit of what I what I'm what I'm talking about, what I'm offering, I suppose, helps you guys as well to um to to you know improve or, or strengthen your trees in your in your collection as well. And then we'll get on to the what's on the bench section um, of the podcast, which appears to be pretty popular, which is great. Really nice to to get some feedback about it, and I've been steered down the path that this. Um, this one needs to be on uh, an Atlantic cedar. Uh, it, was, it was something I put up on Instagram not too long back, uh, Blue Atlantic Cedar, which is a really, really nice tree, beautiful. One of my, one of my favourites, um, developed really nicely, got great age on it. So I want to go through um, some 
specifics, I suppose, uh, with cedars and some general information about cedars that might uh, might be of interest. And uh, then I reckon we'll be we'll be almost out of time for this podcast. So thanks for tuning in. Um, hope you uh, hope you enjoy it. I uh, I do appreciate the feedback and let's uh, let's get into it. Eh? Before we get into pad profiling, uh, I just want to say that I love bonsai because it's a great consistency in the world. You know, trees seem to be forever going on, you know, with their own challenges, of course, which we can we can definitely manage and, and improve on. But you know, the world's a world's an interesting place at the moment. There's a lot lot happening about it, which I don't really want to get into. But um, you know, in Australia, we have this this panic buying of of items because of a a global global virus which may or may not affect us and you know it's not not to me. you know these things going on in the world i love that we can we can look back and we can lean on our bonsai and just go you know what no matter what's happening you can put on a pair of a pair of blinkers and focus purely on what's in front of you on the table and for everything that you put into your bonsai it comes back tenfold so anyway i just uh i just wanted to to say that you know, anyone involved in bonsai, you guys are great, um, and and we're a great community. And and you know, let's uh, let's focus on some some positive stuff. So let's talk about pad profiling. All right. So when you're doing uh, when you're doing maintenance pruning on a deciduous or developing a pad or something like that, you've always got to think about the profile that you want. You don't want to try to flatten the pad out too much. So when it's when it's a when 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 I first get a pad and I'm developing it. And I wire that pad out. I'll wire the primary branches, then I'll wire the secondary branches, and I'll put them into like a very flattened sort of structure. Then, as the foliage then starts to grow, they talk you know, let's talk about removal of up and down growing foliage. I, I agree, you should remove remove the underside of the profile, the pro uh, under the underside of the pad. That should be very clean. That should be nice and crisp. So when you look at the pad, you know exactly where the bottom of it is, and you see the structure of that pad from underneath the tree. But the ones growing up, if they're growing directly up, like I'm talking, you know, full vertical, then yes, they're removed. But if they're on an angle, like, you know, say 45 degree angle or something like that on top of a pad, they're the ones that I definitely keep because when you think about your pad and the, some of the great trees that you've seen photos of or you've seen at shows or wherever you've seen them on the internet, they're great because they've got depth. The pads aren't flattened to a sort of a, a, a one-dimensional sort of plane. They're very much a 3D type object, and that's because some of that upward growth on the on the angle has been kept and maintained to grow out in a natural direction. So I find my personal approach, approach is that if I heavily wire a tree when I first work on it and I set those primary branches, then when they're set in place, then I go and wire the secondary branches, and when they're set in place, then I move along to the, the clip and grow method, which is basically making a, a cut or pruning a branch back to a point where you expect uh, a bud to grow in a direction and move that branch in a, in a certain shape or a certain, a certain area. So we can prune, we can cut and grow branches so that they don't cross over each other and they grow out naturally in a forking, a forking outwards manner and we end up with a really natural looking uh, tree that yeah sure it's been it's been wide it's been shaped it's been you know it's had had human fingerprints put on it but 
the branches then start to take on this natural sort of look as well because they're growing naturally they would based on based on where those buds are being left to, to force the growth so when you when you are pruning the the branch or you get to a branch on a, on a tree when I think about pad profiling I think about isolating that individual branch so it's like putting a piece of paper around all the other part of the tree so all you're looking at is that one pad when you start pruning and then when you prune yep clean the underneath side of of the pad don't don't look big picture just look little picture and try and get your shape of the pad that you desire which for me a lot of those ones are uh, sort of like a nice smooth uh, sort of rounded shape coming out from the from the trunk and then into like a cloud pattern almost sort of for the for the branch itself where it, where it structures up so when you're pruning you want to make it that you've got individual branches so rather than looking at you know the side of a side of a tree and looking at one big branch that spreads right the way across that tree try and isolate it down so you're working with maybe four or five different branches within that one current big pad it sounds confusing it's really hard to talk about with the podcast but what you want to do is you rather than having one big area to look at you want four or five or two or three or whatever it is however many you can break that branch into different pads and when i say different pads i mean have them not only not on the same horizontal level and not the same vertical level but split them around so they're on different planes so when you look at the tree from the front it looks like there's a lot of pads or a lot of interest happening around that area of the tree it draws your it draws your eye in a lot further rather than seeing one big massive clump of growth seeing those broken areas creates interest and it draws you into the tree and makes you have a look through it so positioning positioning the pads can be done with wiring as well so when you're pruning we talk about the clip and grow to to continue the pad and continue the shape of the pad but if you've got two branches sort of side by side on a horizontal plane with each other and you go well instead of being now one pad i'm going to split you two apart you know, and as you look at it, there's one on the left and one on the right. Take one of them and drop it down slightly and slide it across further to the, the direction it's growing. So if it's on the right-hand side, just drop that one down a little bit to the outside of the tree and slide it across to the right a little bit. And the one on the left, maybe just raise it up a little bit too and move it a little bit to the left. So that way you've got lots of air, lots of sunlight getting into those those pads now. So the, the part that was joined, that was was one part that, that made them from two pads into one pad suddenly gets a lot of this the the sun's energy and therefore it can grow uh, the buds that we need and give it some give it more depth to um to the to the pad so the wiring of those two should be really nice clean light wire it doesn't need to be big and strong and heavy it should just be enough to simply focus on the two core branches move those two into position and then don't worry about the other don't worry about wiring all the fine detail on the rest of the branches you'll find that if you if you do a lot of fine detail wiring on really really super thin branches you're under risk of, of breaking those branches before they've had time to mature and develop bark and and be able to compensate for any uh, rough treatment that wiring causes them with breaking and movement and that sort of stuff so i find it's far safer just to wire the key core of those those pads that you're you're going to be shuffling around and it also means that um you don't have to worry about redesigning when you know three weeks later you go out there to look at the tree and and part of the new pad that you've developed's gone brown because it's been been broken in the wiring process 
When you are working on creating your, your different pads, like your separation of pads and, and you're working on the profile from them, I find it's really, really important to stand back from your work and and look at it. If you if you are, you know, maybe thirty centimeters away from the tree when you're when you're pruning and you're thinking everything looks great and it's it's separated and there's nice distance and they're on different planes, horizontal, vertical, all that stuff. Stepping back from the tree, like I'm talking going back maybe three, four, five metres, something like that, getting on the same eye level as those pads, you'll see it from a different perspective and you'll actually see little things that maybe um, you didn't pick up when you were when you're sort of magnified or close to the to the tree when you're doing the work. I do find also having it against a solid colour background, like I use a, a black backdrop for photos and that sort of stuff. When I'm working fine, delicate stuff, I'll also drop that down. So when I stand back, I can see things that maybe I couldn't see up close. You know, I always have in my head um, an up and out image. So if you if you get your fingers and you you push them up and you push them out, and that's that's how I imagine branches on on a pad or an apex something like that reaching out as well, not where the the, the branches are crossing over each other. So if you turn your hands inwards and they cross over each other, I, that's what I don't want to see when I'm looking, when I'm standing back looking at, at my tree. I want to try and have it so each branch has got its own space, its own up and out, and then the fine twigs are coming up and out. And everything's, like, sure, there's going to be little things crossing over each other, but really you want everything to be following the same sort of direction. Not exactly, but the same sort of direction. So you get that feeling of up and out. And I, I find... For me, it really works well when I stand back and I review the work and look at it slowly and get my eye height to the exactly the same height as the branch or the apex or whatever it is that I'm working on at that or the pad that I'm working on at that time so you can review it. Makes you makes you look at things maybe not quite so so two-dimensional too, like having it on a turntail, being able to turn it around and, and look at the pads from a side or the apex from a side with your pruning process that you're going through. Will be will be beneficial as well because you're not just looking at it from the like a camera would look at it like a like a photo you would look at it like that having it so you can turn it around and try and get that you know when you when you're pruning whenever you're working on your tree try and think of that three dimensional space and it makes your tree a much better tree in the in the longer term. Okay, so it's in the same vein as what we've been talking about with the you know the, the pad profiling and pruning and all that sort of stuff. I've lost count of the number of times that I've looked at someone that comes into the workshop with a beautiful tree, needs a lot of work to, you know, because it's, it's grown, because it's been well fed, it's been loved, it's been watered, it's been in the right spot, it's been, you know, potted in really good mix, and there's branches everywhere, and they, they stand there with their scissors just looking at it, and all they say is, where do I start? Where do I start with this? Because there's this fear that, we all have, and I say we because it, it happens to all of us with your trees. You, as I've mentioned many times before, you get an emotional attachment to your trees. Once you get that that link with your tree, it's it's very hard to to make some serious decisions and and to maybe make the cuts that that need to be cut because there's that fear that you're going to stuff it up. You know, um, trees being trees, though depending on how major it is the work that you're doing there's there's always a good chance that if you do cut up and there's that oops moment yeah it'll grow back or something something can be changed to fix it so it's not the end of the world if something does happen that's wrong but it's that where do i start now that i wanted to talk about as part of this you know the, the evolution of this podcast and and I, I go through this process of elimination which is you know when i'm when i'm when i'm pruning a pad or you know 
it does look like a cluster of branches and the the longer you've been developing a bonsai for obviously the more branches you're going to have the more branches you've got more decisions you have to make to to take that bonsai to the next step to do the maintenance work to do what needs to be done so the process of elimination is really easy and i think about this almost every time i've got a pair of scissors in my hand or branch cutters i'm standing in front of a tree i look at it and i go rather than rather than thinking okay that's the perfect branch to keep and then snipping everything else off i look at it and i'll think to myself what's what doesn't fit what which branch or which part of this pad or this this apex or whatever it is that i'm working on which part is wrong which part is growing incorrectly which part is is crossing paths what what's the worst thing that's on this pad it doesn't mean that every time you look at a look at your tree, you know, there's things that you're gonna go, Well, I just hate that and that's gotta go. I'm not saying it like that, but you look at from a from a technical point of view, what part of that needs to be removed first? Which is which is the one that you look at and you go, Yep, that has gotta go. And more often than not, it's the downward growing stuff on the on the pad. So step one remove all the downward growing stuff because that has to go no matter what no matter how lush it is no matter how good it looks if there's flowers on it whatever it is it's got to go because you've got to have a clean separation at the underside of that pad anything growing down you know won't get sunlight won't continue to grow takes trees resources we don't need it step one remove downward growing stuff so that's probably the most most wrong of the of the the growth that you've got to remove and then from there, it's it's simply a matter of going. Okay, well, let's say there's five branches, five there's five buds, there's five whatever it is in in a certain area, and you look at it and go, well, okay, I've got to get back to two. Two's the two's the magic number because you know one to two means we end up with nice divisions. We get any more than two things coming from one area, and with a knuckle of growth, a thickening of that that area, and it looks unnatural. You know, it might look good temporarily, but long-term good structure good bonsai all that stuff one to two is the is the magic number so you got five things in that one area start looking at them going okay well i'm growing in a certain direction is anything growing in the opposite direction of those five that are there is there is there one pushing back towards the trunk that should be growing out from the trunk to give me that same that fingers up and out that we just talked about and invariably there will be so bang there's one gone secondly you've got you've got four four branches sitting there of the four have a look at them and see which one are you going to, have to put wire on to make it go the direction that you want that branch to go if there's of the four you look at and there's one that grows sort of perpendicular to the branch sticks out sticks out 90 degree angle from the branch then you'd have to put wire on it to put that where you want the branch to go bingo that one's gone as well now you're down to three so you haven't even looked at what's right on the branch yet. All you've done is you've removed you've removed one growing backwards in the wrong direction. You've grown one. You've cut one off that's growing in a funny direction out from the side of the branch. Now we're down to three. So really, of those three, it's okay. Which ones would make the best possible branches to be flowing out from that branch from from that point in the in the junction of the branch? Invariably, you'll try and you'll get two that come out almost a really nice nice sort of forking branches that come out and the third one you know it might be a roll of a dice between you know two of them to say well i keep this one i keep that one when you get to that point just think to yourself it doesn't matter which one goes if they're both similar branches and they're both they're both growing in the same direction and, and they're the same uh, same strength level then it doesn't matter which one goes so just knock one off 
if you've got two branches that are growing in the same direction and one of them's weak and one's really, really strong, then think about what stage your tree's at. You know, if it's a if it's a highly ramified, uh, you know, finished tree stage sort of thing, then you want to keep the weaker ones because strong gets stronger, stronger means thicker, thicker means, you know, ruined ramification. Flip, flip it around, if it's a tree in development, then a weaker branch might not be what you want because it's going to hold back the growth in that, that part of the, the branch and having a stronger one in that part of the, of the branch while you're developing, while you're, while you're growing that, that branch, definitely having, a, having a, stronger, stronger branch, a stronger bud in that area will be beneficial to the strength of that branch. So therefore you get rid of the weak one. So the, the process of elimination doesn't need to be something that um, you, know, you, you, you dwell on for ages, definitely needs decisions doing nothing is probably one of the worst things you can do with bonsai you do nothing things just get longer and longer and longer and sooner or later they get to the point where they've got too long and we can't cut them back you know some trees we can because they'll backbite but you know if you're talking about a pine or you know cedar or something like that if you keep letting things elongate and keep pushing out and getting longer and longer before you take action then it's hard slash if not impossible to correct that that lack of action that you've made so doing something which might not be 100 percent, maybe it's 80 percent correct is far far better than doing zero to that to that branch so process of elimination work your way back to the best options that you've got remaining and if it if it means that the best options you've got need wire on them you have to do it that's all there is to it you have to put wire on the best options you don't want to suddenly cut everything off and go wow None of them were absolutely correct. You want to be left with the best two options that you've got. They don't have to be perfect, but they've got to be the best ones that were there. Okay, so... 2020 is flying along. I can't believe it. Two months gone already for the year. We're uh, we're into the next season. Southern Hemisphere for us in, in in Australia, it's it's autumn, and particularly down here in Melbourne means uh, means that the uh, the weather's turning from our from our peak heat that we've we've had over summer. You know, the, the spiking of hot temperatures doesn't mean we won't get hot temperatures, of course, but you know, generally, all in all, it's some weather starts to get a bit wetter. Daylight hours obviously get shorter. Um, the uh, the trees start to prepare for for dormancy. Start to start to tuck away the the nuts to uh, like a squirrel does to get through through winter. And it's a it's a really important time for us to to feed our trees. I can't stress that enough. And I think it's you know it's spring spring obviously is an obvious one for for fertilising your trees. But autumn's the one where you're going to be seeing a big return you, you feed your trees well and strong during the autumn period when the trees are putting away the the strength into their trunk into their roots to to get through that that quiet period the dormancy period when spring comes around that's when you start to see the results for it you don't see it now i mean the girth of the trees will in, in, in increase during the the autumn period while they are tucking away the nuts but the big benefit comes when you see spring come around, and you know, you've had very little dieback because you know we don't get we don't get snow, uh, we get a few frosts and stuff like that. But we don't get a lot of dieback on our, on our trees in Melbourne. And having strong trees means obviously you know you're going to have less and less than that. So feeding your trees makes them stronger and better and whatever else. But 
when spring comes around and they pop and they take off at a million miles an hour and you've got lush green foliage everywhere and you know rather than walking out going geez i wonder why that one died it's you're looking at going well i better get the scissors out and start doing some work so and that's what comes from from being being uh diligent now and and putting the fertilizer on i use the the tea bag method as i've mentioned before just use organic fertilizers my rough mix is a is a rough 50 50 of blood and bone and a, an organic pellet fertilizer i find that you know even though the the breakdown is, is pretty similar between the two. I find that the, the blood and bone uh, dissolves quite quickly and gets through into the trees at a, at a rapid rate of knots. And then as that one sort of starts to, to dissipate, I find that the pellets actually start to get softer and start to break down as well. And so every time you water the trees, basically you're offering offering something to the tree. And if it, it wants it, it takes it. If it doesn't, it just gets watered out of the pot. Um, so it's really, really efficient way of... Of, of feeding trees well, that's what i find anyway you know there's horses of courses everyone does things slightly differently but you know it's something i get asked about a lot and that's that's basically my my regime is i'll put a tea bag on um maybe one one to two depending on the size of the tree and what i'm trying to do with it but i, I do feed them very well throughout the um the autumn period I find the tea bags last about you know maybe a month so first of the month is a bit of a kick in the bum for me to say hey get out there and put some more more fertilizer on the trees and and keep them pushing you know for maybe they'll last five weeks maybe they'll last three weeks but i find that four weeks is a pretty pretty much a sweet spot for me and i've done it for a lot of years now and and the trees uh the trees look look great everything's everything's nice and healthy and you know there are you know there are things you can you can um you do when people use different different fertilizer mixes and that's that's great i think like i said horses for courses if you find something that works really well for you then you should you should jump at it I like to be um, nice and safe with my, my fertilizer. I don't like to use organics. Um, I prefer the organic, and I only use the organic uh, stuff when I do uh, I do feed my trees. So um, yeah, so planning for for the next month of what's what's happening in the garden. As I said, um, you know, there's complaints from the neighbours because of the smell of the blood and bone at the moment. Uh, it's gone out fertilized. You know, start of last weekend. Um, you know, over 400 tea bags out there on on trees, so everything is everything's getting a good dose, and that's that'll continue. As I said, every month I'll, I'll put more on out there. Um, it's also a really good time to, to have a look at your trees for for pests and spraying them and stuff like that too. If you get a break in the weather when it, other for those that do like spraying, there's, there's those that don't. That's that's cool. But I'm talking about what I'm doing in in my garden, and I do like to stay on top of them. And I've noticed um, working around lately that uh, there's a few few areas where there's some some caterpillar damage and that sort of thing. So it's it's just a nice friendly reminder for me to to make sure that I do my bit to keep the tree at, at its peak or as much as close to its peak as I possibly can. So I'll be I'll be spraying and inspecting the trees as well, uh, and I'm also going through now for the next next couple of months and flagging trees that i want to repot when it comes time for it and my repotting season for me here in in melbourne is is pretty much deciduous getting done in uh, the july period and then my pines and 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 conifers that sort of thing getting done in the august period so if i start flagging now what um you know there's run out of run out of space in the in the pots you know everything's nice and compacted and i've had issues with with watering then put a little flag on those ones any trees that that maybe have been in the pot a little bit too long as well or there's you know maybe the growth wasn't quite as dynamic as what i'd hoped it would have been during the spring 
where I've had transpiration issues during summer, all that sort of stuff. So now it's just the time for me to to go around and, and say, yep, you're on the list, you're on the list, you're fine, you're on the list, no, you're fine. And then from there I can plan for myself to know how much soil mix I've got to make up. Do I want to change pots? Do I want to do something different with the tree? Is it time to start thinking about a different angle? You know, is there is there styling work to come in line with the with the repotting somewhere down the track as well? So it's it's time for me to put some some thought into the into the the tree and what the next stage is for that for that tree, I suppose. So that's uh, that's one of the big things that I'll be doing. And while I'm talking about pots too, I've I've got him sitting in front of me. Um, mate of mine, Adrian, he's um he's, he's started to carve out some natural stone for for pots. And I tell you, there's um there's a there's a Bloody few trees I'm going to be putting in in these these natural bits of stone too. I love I love what the potters do, and I think potters potters are fantastic, and we've got some great ones in Australia, and these amazing ones overseas as well. And and the quality around the world, from what you look at, just seems to be getting better and better and better. And it's it's amazing. You know, it used to be you'd only think about pots from your trees coming from sort of certain areas, and and that's just not the case now. You know, it's not the the dominance of, of pot making is now spread all around the world and it's it's such a such an art form and such a skill that there's so many people that should be commended for the work that they put into it but these uh these natural bits of stone too you know especially with fewer natives and 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 my pines and junipers and stuff like that i think that they they sort of get set off and there's there's no two that are the same you know when i i looked uh, i was looking the other day for some pots i've got a big scots pine that i'm gonna transfer in pots and slightly change angle and all that sort of stuff and I started looking through my pots, and you go through, and you go, yeah, it's pretty similar, it's pretty similar, pretty similar. And I started thinking about a bit of stone for it, and I thought, wow, you know, you've really got to find the right piece of stone that fits it. But then, if I can get something that does it, you know, there's not going to be another tree anywhere around the world that's going to be in a pot that looks like that. So, yeah. So that's another thing that I'm doing is, uh, you know, start start buying up pots and, and start getting all the all the stuff ready to go too. Um, and and like I said, it's really. I suppose the main factor that I look at with repotting is is tree health. Um, if if things have started to slip a little bit, you know, and maybe it's had a few more bugs on it or a few more issues than what I would have liked, that's also a red flag for me to say you need to look at repotting because once the roots of the tree start to weaken, then everything else starts to collapse as well. And and repotting is not one of those things where you. You know, you're doing something damaging to the tree. You're actually rejuvenating the tree. You're offering stimulus to it that that creates that new flux of growth that that they need. And and I think that um, you know if you can change your mindset with repotting from a negative one to a really positive one, you know, looking I look at my trees and think you know you've you've missed a beat. I smack myself on the wrist and say it's my fault. I should have repotted it 12 months ago. So that's where this flagging system comes in to make sure that I'm not going to miss any of those again again this this year. And the other thing that's going on at the moment is is weeds, weeds and weeds and weeds. It's um, the never-ending battle, and the more trees you have, the more weeds you have. I read somewhere a long time ago, the best time to get rid of a weed is when it first pops its head up. When it's a tiny little thing, that's the best time to get rid of it. Don't wait till it becomes a major problem, and then you're chasing your tail, and you never get rid of the damn things. You know, they steal nutrients from the from the tree, they... They take water away from the tree. They're they're ugly. They're unsightly. They spread really fast. So, you know, get get on top of the weeds before um, before they take hold. And it's definitely it's none of the game around here. Every time I walk around, I'm, I feel like I'm plucking a bucket load of weeds out. But that's something I'm definitely going to be focusing on 
as we uh, as we sort of start to slow down too over the, the next couple of months. Uh, another thing is the shake off, the systems that have, have been up. Um, I'm removing those now. I like to get the um, the airflow in there, not just not just for the sun. You know, it, it's also you know shake cloth also stops stops some air movement um, in and around the trees. So I find that by removing all of that and and opening up, when we do get these these stronger winds that, that come through from time to time, it's uh, it's certainly helpful when it, when you're thinking about fungal issues with your trees. You know that that air circulation around the trees helps helps drastically in in that um, in that regard. So yeah, all the shade cloth will be removed, and then I'll just keep an eye out for if we have any hailstorms. Uh, it'll it'll roll back out. I don't think we have any hot days, but yeah, if anything gets above sort of high four, high thirties, low forties, I'll be, be rolling it back out. And then the next time it'll start to come out will be uh, during winter when we start looking at getting some frosts. It'll it'll be put over the more sensitive trees that are that are prone to some dieback and some some tip burn from the from the cold, and and it'll be rolled back at then. But until then, that'll be tucked away, and the yard will look uh, nice and open again. And the last thing that that's going to start happening over the next month is um, is the autumn prune. Autumn's a great time for for pruning your trees because they've got the ability. Uh, your deciduous trees, for instance, have got the ability to to heal the wounds during uh, this uh, this period where they're still growing. Um, it's not outward growth; it's inward growth for storing of energy. But they've got the ability to heal. Making a making a, a cut on a on a say a, a Japanese maple, for instance during the heart of dormancy during winter when they do have no leaves on them obviously they're bare that can that can have um, some pretty serious consequences because it won't kill the tree but the tree bleeds and the tree will just keep bleeding energy uh, and sap for for quite a long while until spring comes around and the tree reactivates and therefore then the cambium can start to, to roll over and start to heal that that cut and the sap flow then will, will stop I've, I've seen it i've done it myself I've seen it many times where you know, things have been pruned or, or branches have been broken. I had a possum break a branch once during winter and, and the poor tree just, just bled sap for two months solid. I couldn't do anything to, to stop it. You know, Cut putty wouldn't stop it. It kept kept washing away the cut paste before it had a chance to dry. So um, I find during autumn when you make your prune now, that sort of sap flow issue just is, uh, is non-existent. So yeah, going through all the deciduous too as they start to get ready to drop their leaves, I'll all have a, have a prune and, and a bit of clean up as, as well. Okay, so now it's time for what's on the bench. So the tree that I want to talk about this uh, this podcast is this blue Atlantic cedar that was uh, recently put up onto Instagram. Uh, beautiful tree, as I said, lovely, lovely coloured needle, very, um, very classic shape, uh, clearly the fine pads, Lovely, one of my favourites. Really, 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 really enjoy the tree. Really love it. So, uh, when with cedars, a few things that I've learned over the over the years, over the travels, um, when you want to put movement into the trunk, do it when it's nice and young. So, if you're going to be buying stock that's that's particularly young, as soon as you get it, wire it up and put shape into the trunk. Don't focus too much on the branches and that sort of thing initially. Just try and get the movement into the trunk. And if you do buy trees from nurseries where the trunks have set make sure that they've got some redeeming feature that you you like in the trunk movement you can definitely go for a formal upright style with them so the trunk can be dead straight that's that's no problems at all or you can get them with movement either way the one thing i would say is just be really uh, mindful of any scarring especially deep scarring on trunks i've seen a few from nurseries 
where the scarring is quite drastic and that scarring can be very hard if ever possible to get rid of on uh, on a trunk or a branch once it cuts in it gouges pretty deep uh, you may have you may have issues and it may be unsightly for quite some time that might not be a um, uh, that might not be a problem but uh, but depending on the design you've got but just be mindful that you know the scarring will not disappear easily so if you're looking at trees and they've got scarring on them maybe look for ones that that don't uh, now for that tree in particular my you know a couple of couple of uh, all-round approaches that i use for that tree is i repot it about every three years three years seems to be a good mark for it four years is, i'd have let it go four years it's a little bit a little bit long but i reckon three years is is a sweet spot for it two years a little bit too soon it got repotted last year, I think, into that pot. Yeah, and this year, uh, when I just recently cleaned it up, the uh, the root ball had actually pushed up and started growing out of the top of the pot. So the the roots of the tree had actually loved all that extra space that had been provided, and obviously the the you know, better water flow and all that sort of stuff too. So leaving them too long in their pots can be detrimental as well because they'll become a bit a bit um, pot bound and. And those roots just won't be functioning the way they should be. There was, you know, I've heard arguments for cedars, especially that they should be on the cusp of of um, nutrient deficiency and water deficiency because it helps reduce the needle size of the tree. Now that's uh, that's complete opposite to the approach that I take with my trees, with all my trees. The the only tree that I would hold back on fertilizer on uh, is a white pine uh, during the the spring period but during autumn they get double the feed you know it's another another tree to talk about maybe next time on what's on the bench but so the the cedars they get fed um, every every spring and, and every autumn same as all of my other trees they get watered in line with everything else I don't look to uh, to, to starve them of anything that they desire so you can see, you know, I'd rather have a happy, healthy tree that um, is regularly getting pruned that has needles that are appropriate to the size of the tree that I've developed um, because that's how the tree grows and that's how it functions, that's how it transpires. So I don't uh, I don't look at holding back. And so that's where this repotting thing I think is important to talk about early too. You know, about every three years is something that I, that I do. I have it in a really open position, as open as I possibly can. Sunny, middle of my yard, cops sun as much sunlight as there is at cops there's no shelter for it whatsoever it's on a podium it gets a lot of airflow it's tied down it cops the the rain the hail the the wind storms whatever it is so a nice open position for it pruning uh gets a gets a clean up twice a year now the the first one is generally in late spring once spring comes around you'll find that you know the buds obviously start to move at different times of the year for for the different trees and different branches and, and all that sort of stuff but i find that you'll get long runners starting to shoot out from the from the silhouette of the branches and they start to you know as i said before as things get longer they get thicker so it can sort of destroy the ramification that i've built I'd advise you that when you do see those runners that if they're not part of the thickening process or the design process or development process, once you get to a finished tree like this one is, they've got to be removed and and removed back fairly close to where they started because you want to encourage back budding in the new part of the growth on a on a cedar. You won't get you won't get back budding on old wood 
once uh, once it's once it's got bark, that's it. It's over with. So don't rely on 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 that factor for a cedar. Rely on when you get those runners to cut them back nice and short, and it'll pop back buds in close to the trunk, which then will grow at a slower rate because the long runners then been removed. So during spring, I'll go through, and when I say a spring prune, it might not necessarily be something which is done in one sitting. Like I won't wait till everything's shot off and run. I might walk around with the scissors, you know, this weekend and you know and and prune the the long runners that are out there and then go back out there in another two weeks time and remove the the ones that have taken off since then but generally in spring there's a there's this prune that i do just focusing on those long runners then when it gets to autumn slash winter it'll be given a a, a bigger a bigger dose which involves uh, needle plucking removing downward growing buds which is pretty consistent you'll hear whenever i talk about pads it's removing those downward ones so needle plucking pruning out any areas that are that might be growing in the wrong direction restructuring the pad like i talked about before that that pad profile i really try and focus on that during the autumn winter prune and if need be that's the time also that i'll wire the tree i don't don't wire during the aggressive growing period during during spring when things get a bit more brittle i like to do it during the the autumn slash winter period when things are slowing down but that tree now is so refined that there's there's next to no wire on it i use copper wire for for cedars too don't have to but i just find that you can use a a lighter gauge uh, a thinner wire to get the same result therefore it looks neater therefore the tree stays you know on, on, on top top peak condition so i don't mind them once i've got it to where it is now when it looks really nice and it's it's you know instagram worthy it's photo worthy then it sort of takes on a bit of a transition as spring comes around. It looks a little bit shaggier and, and grows out a little bit, which, again, I don't mind. You know, new growth means new roots. It's all, it's all good. all helps the tree. I'll leave the wire on to set in place. So I talked earlier about scarring on the trunks and stuff like that becoming a, a pretty much an ugly an ugly eyesore that, that won't disappear in a relatively short period of time. With that in mind, when I do wire a branch, I like to see a bit of swelling around the wire because I know that that branch then is going to be set in place. I don't want to have to wire something and then go back and rewire it again because I've removed the wire too early. So I start to let the swelling occur, then I'll take it off. That's That sort of scarring is not a problem. It's not even scarring. It's just a little dint on the, on the branch, which will smooth itself off in 12 to 24 months. You won't even notice that it was there. Once I've removed the wire from the branches and they are a mature branch and they're starting to set the pad into place, then if I find that they're starting to scoop up a little bit at the ends, which is the tendency of, of all trees to push up towards the sun, I'll use a guy wire system where I'll drag down that branch with a guy wire. So rather than wiring, putting wire through very delicate, fine branches, I'll attach guy wires and drag the tips of the branches down on the, on the tree too. So I do use guy wires a lot with, um, a lot with, with my cedars. So the soil mix I use for, for that tree and for any cedar or any of my, most of my trees here, to be honest, um, is, a, is a mix of pumice, scoria, and pine nuggets. I find the three work pretty well in, in equal portions, and I'll put a, possibly a light layer of, um, of fine acadama on, on the soil surface just to help with the surface roots and provide something something nice to look at. And sphagnum moss on top of that once it's been repotted. But yeah, the soil mix is pretty pretty common for all of my trees. I find it works works really well. And and the cedars that I've got, uh, that, I've, that I've worked with, love the mix. There's no, uh, no complaints. One design uh, design issue that I that I always look at when I'm, when I'm working with cedars is that the apex of the tree doesn't become too broad. 
I can find that very simply with focusing on the pads and the shape and that sort of stuff, the apex of the tree can sort of be allowed to grow out and out and out. And sort of then when you look at it, it's like a, like a block, like a cube, if you like. So the apex becomes very, very flat. Those, the apex, the sides of the apex, the outer part of the apex start to curl up and start to push and all that growth comes up and you start pruning almost a tabletop on top of the, uh, on top of the tree. So I do like to have a nice rounded apex that maybe isn't quite as broad. So every time I'm working on that tree, I'm looking at pushing that apex back in so I can keep it nice and tight and a, and a sharper dome. I do like the dome shape. I don't like the, the, the pointier shape. I find that the pointy shape reminds me of a young tree, whereas the rounded dome reminds me of an older tree once something hits its its peak and the branches can't go any higher. It starts to push out and creates that rounded dome, which is why I like that when I'm designing designing bonsai. So just be careful that the apex doesn't become too broad. As mentioned earlier with the pad profiling, cedars are definitely one that you need to pad profile on and make sure that you are separating those pads and you've got them in different planes. It's so easy to have them just become one big pad. It's it's the easiest way to do things and and it's probably the quickest way to make something look like a bonsai, but I guarantee you longer term, you know, two years, three years down the track from when you start with that big pad, you're going to look at it, it's going to become enormous and it's going to look quite ugly. And then you're going to go down the process of, of separating into smaller pads. Start with it a bit earlier. Start, you know, maybe having the tree not look quite as bonsai-esque uh, or as finished straight away and break those pads apart and then let them develop separately. They'll, they'll flourish with, you know, all that, it, as I talked about, the air and and sunlight getting to them you know they'll, they'll they'll grow really and develop really well too so make sure that you keep um you keep them, them nice and separate and yeah that's that's it they're a, they're a great tree they're awesome at all levels i think that they've got a lot to offer in all different shapes you know whether they're cascading I worked on one the other day that is the biggest cascading uh, cedar i've ever seen in my entire life with the, the branch drooping down like almost two meters uh it was a beautiful tree nice and thick nice and well developed and and you know the pads on that are, is, are equivalent to exactly what I've got here. So they do handle cascading forms with with maintaining their strength as well in the, with the right formatting. Uh, in formal uprights, formal uprights, you name it, they're um, they're great trees. So yeah, Atlantic cedars they come in all different colours. I love the blue one particularly. That's that, that ticks the boxes for me. And uh, if you haven't got one, I reckon you should uh, you should get out and get yourself one. Right, well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. Thanks for thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Really nice to know that there's a lot of people out there getting getting something from this podcast because that's how it's intended. It's it's meant to be uh, something which which sort of provides something to make you spend more time with your trees, to you know do something more with them and and push them to the next level, and also maybe provide a bit of reassurance somewhere along the way that you're not alone and there's there's definitely definitely people out there that that are interested in what you're doing and and uh you know that that there's something something there for you to to get into so just a summary of the the podcast pad profiling really really super important think about your trees in a different way when you work on them when you work on them next uh go through the process of elimination it's really easy once you start doing it don't stand there with your scissors saying what do i do just say what's what's most wrong don't tell people that but just say what's most wrong what's 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 wrong with this this pad or this this apex or this part of the tree that i'm looking at and then we've got we've got march so we're going to start getting into fertilizing that's the that's the big one have a have an eye over your trees before they start dropping all their leaves and maybe you know get on top of the the pests if you if you have to in any which way you you choose to 
it's going to be time for a clean-up soon around the benches once they do start dropping the leaves. But for now, we don't have to worry about that. Get lots of food into them. Maybe start thinking about giving them a prune before they do go off to um, off to sleep. And thanks for thanks for sticking around. I'll uh, I'll catch you next time. Thanks very much. Until uh, until then, happy bonsai. Mm-hmm.